0: This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and non-fiction, graphic novels and more, we are here to help you find something great to read.
1: Hello Books and Nachos listeners, welcome back as we are here to discuss... Hellblazer, the comic upon which the movie Constantine was based. We're looking at Garth Ennis's first arc, Dangerous Habits. And I am Arnie, co-host of Books and
0: Nachos. And I'm Jacob.
1: And for those who are just joining us, you can hear us talk about the first arc, kind of, of Hellblazer in a podcast we released earlier this week discussing the graphic novel Original Sins, but that had a different writer, an Alan Moore handpicked writer. Here we have Garth Ennis. Now, Garth Ennis is a name I know, but I'm not a deep comic book guy, and I can't remember. How do I know the
0: name Garth Ennis? Well, I'm trying to think about some of his Marvel works, because you're probably more likely to know him from that. But as far as DC goes, Preacher was a big independent series that he created for Vertigo. Hitman was one set in the DC universe about a Hitman with special powers that would interact with Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. DC, probably his biggest thing is Punisher. Welcome back, Frank. He wrote a Punisher Max, which was like a R-rated version of Punisher.
1: That's how I know him. I've read that. Yeah.
0: Punisher kills the Marvel Universe. He wrote
1: that. Okay. So that's how I know him. That Welcome Back Frank specifically, upon which the Punisher movie was based. The John Travolta one.
0: I would say Thomas Jane, but yes,
1: John Travolta is in it too. (laughs) John Travolta got top billing. So, all right, that's who he is, but this is coming out... In the very early 90s, how did he get the Hellblazer
0: gig? Once again, the British invasion. He's Irish, and he was part of that wave. He worked on Judge Dredd. He just finished up a big run on Judge Dredd. And again, the American editors were just going after all these British writers, especially DC, because they were just the hot thing. I I think especially because of Alan Moore and Watchmen, and you had Neil Gaiman with Sandman, and they just wanted to get more of these writers because they were doing such revolutionary stuff with comics. What shocks me is this is Garth Ennis' first American stuff. I didn't realize he started here with L Blazer. And he did a long, I think, like 80, 90 issues of the series. He was nominated twice for Best Writer for the series two years in a row for an Eisner Award, the Oscar for comic books. So he really did start off with a bang with his American career.
1: Now, it's kind of hard to find behind-the-scenes information on comics that are over 20 years old now. And I feel really old that something from 1991 is over 20 years old. But do you happen to know if the previous writer, Jamie Delano, was the one who planned for Constantine to have cancer? Because when I'm reading the last graphic novel, Original Sins, there are a lot of references to him smoking, to him chain smoking, and... There's references to cancer. There's references to it's like a cancer within me and all of that. It really felt like they were foreshadowing cancer for Constantine. So that a different author would be the one to do it struck me as odd.
0: I wouldn't be surprised a lot of times, especially, you know, Delano did like the first 40 issues. So I'm sure he had arc upon arc and storyline upon storyline written. And it's not uncommon, especially if it's on good terms. I don't know the terms that Delano left the book, but usually when it's on good terms, they kind of passed their ideas along and said, hey, this is kind of where I was taking it. But what's really interesting about Constantine is he mentions his 35th birthday in that original Sins. So he was 35. That was what, like three years prior to... dangerous habits one of the things with constantine is that he ages in real time so when number 300 hit and ended the hellblazer series he was like 60 years old it mentions at one point he's been smoking since he was 17 well and this isn't just him at 35 that it mentioned in issue number one through nine i don't remember the exact issue he had his birthday but no this is years later so this character he ages he gets old man he gets cancer
1: The other thing that really struck me is, while I was more a Marvel superhero comic kind of guy, and every so often the odd other comic, I had friends who would read more this kind of mature, independent stuff. And my memory, and it may be faulty, was long before they ever had a Constantine movie, was that... Hellblazer was about a guy with terminal cancer fighting demons. I never thought this was just one short arc. I mean, this is only six issues. I never thought that was the only time he had cancer. I thought this was a constant ticking clock thing with him getting sicker and sicker as the comic progressed while still fighting the good fight. And so at the end of Constantine the movie, when Satan cures Constantine's cancer, I'm like... Well, that's a missed opportunity, because if there's a sequel, and there probably won't be, but if there was a sequel, why would you take away a defining characteristic of the character? So reading this, I'm really stunned that it actually isn't a defining characteristic of the character. I was mistaken.
0: No, I think that just goes to show how prolific this storyline is. There was a poll done about Garth Ennis, his greatest storylines, and the guy has a huge body of work. He's won awards. He was nominated for Hellblazer, but he's won awards for other things. But this storyline, Dangerous Habits, was voted by fans as his best story. It's considered, I guess, a classic in comic book culture, at least for those who are into Hellblazer. That's not a big circle, but this is one of the best known stories of his.
1: It's a small circle, and there's a pentagram drawn in
0: it. (laughs) But I will say that in
1: reviewing this for Books and Nachos, I feel far better reviewing it as a graphic novel. Because we were talking with Original Sins about how it's really a collection of issues and there's these one-off stories. Here, this run felt like what we were discussing last time. It is intended to be read as a unit. It is a cohesive story beginning to end, perfectly suited for trade paperback publication, and it talks about how John Constantine is a dead man, and it's not the demons he's fought, or the lovers he's spurned, or the friends he's betrayed that's killing him, it's cigarettes, A smoker for over 20 years, he has terminal lung cancer and there's nothing to be done. And because we've already described Constantine as an asshole, he's burned his bridges with his magic user friends who might be able to help him. And he visits a cancer ward where he makes friends with a terminal patient named Matt. But as one last ditch effort to save his own life, he sells his soul to two different demons from hell. But a third demon already laid claim to his soul because Constantine embarrassed him. And so Constantine slashes his own wrist. Forcing the demon's hand and the three demons from hell come up and they can't decide who gets them as all have a valid claim and as Constantine starts to bleed out the three either must go to war in which case Constantine will go to heaven and heaven will be able to actually take over the fractured hell or they can save his life and have a lot longer to work out their differences without tearing hell asunder, and so the demons, in the most painful way possible, cure Constantine of both his slashed wrist and his lung cancer, and it ends with Constantine giving the big middle finger to the demons that saved his life because he outsmarted them. It's just a cohesive single story, and it's written much more like a comic book would read. I talked about how Original Sins... Jamie's stuff took me
0: forever to read. I tore through Dangerous Habits. It's a real quick read. What's interesting to me reading this early stuff by Garth Ennis, he's a writer known for shock and awe. Like, you read Preacher, where this preacher is possessed by this spirit of an angel and a demon. And I mean, it really tears apart the Catholic Church and mocks the second coming of Christ. He did a series called The Boys, which is just like slandering every superhero out there, making explicit the, the implied gay relationship between Batman and Robin. Like, this guy's known for shocking people, but what's always impressed me with his stuff is, yes, he could do these big, explosive, jaw-dropping moments, but he does have a knack for quieter moments, too. Dialogue, relationships, and that comes out here. You don't get a whole lot of shocking scenes in this storyline, but it really showed off his talent for just more uh, telling a straight story. You get a lot of just back and forth. Constantine and Matt discussing life, discussing dying, and it really shows off that strength of innocence.
1: Yeah, and what shocked me here is that there really isn't a villain. When I decided to read these two graphic novels, I was told that these were the two on which Constantine the movie was based. And... In there, we have a very specific plot about twin sisters and the Archangel Gabriel plotting with the son of Satan to take over the Earth. None of that is in either of these graphic novels. In the first one, I think what they got for the movie was just some characters and a few props and a general attitude. And from this one, they get a few more characters and they get Constantine's cancer arc which always felt like a very minor subplot in the movie. But the majority of the movie, I guess, is original story to the movie.
0: And here, there's no bad guy. The bad guy is cancer. Gabriel shows up in this for, what, a page or two? They get this short discussion where he asks for help, and Gabriel blows him off, and that's it. There's no plot to bring about the son of Satan.
1: No, and also what there is in the movie that isn't here... Is Constantine time? we're talking about the movie character, I guess I'll say Constantine's suicide, where he killed himself when he was younger because he had visions, and that's what made him an occultist, and it's what damned him to hell. Now, again, I said during the movie review podcast, I'm not sure how much that holds, because if you survived the suicide, you could always repent and get last rites and all that, but... Here, Constantine's just damned to hell because he's an asshole who, as we mentioned last podcast, the curse he put on his father caused his father to die. And all of these other things he's done, he's going to hell not for a single mistake, but for... Leading a bad life.
0: What I do love is how he pisses off this first demon, Ratty, who lays claim to his soul. Like his friend has a brewery where it's holy water, so he just scoops it up and it turns into the best beer ever. Like this is funny. This seems very Garth Ennis to me. Like he loves writing people just relating each other over a good mug of beer. His friend dies. That Ratty shows up to take his soul, and Constantine's like, "Well, before you do that, why don't you have a drink with me?" and tricks him into drinking this holy water, like burns him from the. Inside Out. I do love, I don't know if charm's the right word, but this wit, this cheeky wit, that he doesn't really use magic, he just tricks this demon into drinking some holy water. Again, it's a great definition for the kind of character that Constantine is.
1: Agreed. And what you don't realize when you're reading it, you think it's just Constantine, and you may be thinking, finally battling a demon i mean it's a couple issues into this arc i could imagine that if you weren't taken by the writing and the humanity of the story if you were a younger reader and your favorite part is when constantine battled demons when the new writer takes over and a couple issues pass and there's no demons and he's got cancer and is visiting terminal patients in a cancer ward you might add this to your drop list i could see that but Here, he's finally getting in this battle, but he's really setting up his own salvation, because every trick he uses to save his friend's soul from this demon, because the demon has to collect it exactly at midnight. That was the codicil put in, and by using this holy water as a stalling tactic, Constantine allows enough time to pass. His friend isn't damned to hell. He gets to go to heaven. That's the same kind of trick Constantine's going to use to ward off his own cancer later on against this same demon. And we We also have Constantine visiting his loved ones. Having read the original Sins, it was really nice to see him visiting his sister again. And he's just too upset about his cancer to talk to his niece. And he makes good with Chaz. We haven't talked much about Chaz, but Chaz is basically his driver. Pretty big part of the movie, not a very big part of the comics, at least the ones I've read.
0: Not the ones we read. I mean, they are childhood friends, or at least from teenage years years, they're friends. But yeah, in the stories we've read, you haven't seen a whole lot of Chaz, but he does get that moment with him here where they end up getting a fight, but then Constantine leaves that. No, again, I think Ennis, it's one of the things he's underrated for is how well he could do these emotional moments.
1: Yeah, these are really well-done moments, and as a person who had enjoyed most the demon fighting in Original Sins, here, I'm just enjoying the character study, and that it's not rote. I actually went back, reread this arc, because I wanted to see if this was a rote telling of the five stages of death. It's... About six issues was issue one, denial, and issue two, bargaining, because Constantine definitely does some bargaining in here. But no, he never really has the denial stage or the anger stage. It's a very realistic portrayal, in my mind, of someone diagnosed with a terminal illness. The difference is this guy does have an out.
0: And I love his out again, he uses some magic, but it doesn't come down to Harry Potter wand shooting laser beams back and forth. Yes, he uses this magic, he draws these pentagrams, and he makes deals with different, I guess, head devils or head demons for his soul. And I do like you never see these demons as he's making these deals. We'll see them later on, but when he's making the deals, you never really see them. All you do is see John's reactions, and you get the prose, what's going on in his head, and like how this one demon, it just constantly constantly shape-shifts and these horrible-looking things. You'll never see it, and there's no way in a comic that that, Once we do see it, that image, it doesn't work. So I love how it just focuses on Constantine and we get his reaction of what he's going through as he's looking down into hell, making these different deals.
1: And I do like the art of these comics. Is this the same artist who did Original Sins?
0: No, this is a different artist. Another UK artist, though, (laughs) just like the previous one.
1: Well, it has a similar flavor, which is why I wasn't sure if it was the same guy. This guy uses a lot of monochromatic panels to tell the story and to give the emotion while there are bursts of color, it felt like I'd look at a page, and one page would be primarily yellow, and the next page would be primarily green, and a lot of them were brown and black. And it just doesn't have the bright comic book feel that I've come to expect, even from the original Sins issues of Constantine.
0: Yeah, for me, the strength of the art here isn't the actual art. I think it's okay. It's not distracting all that much but really it's the coloring that's going on like you said all the panels seem to have that monochromatic feel like it'll be different shades of brown different shades of yellow but not bright, not they don't stand out and it does have this because everything's all the colors seem so muted it does have that feeling of death the life is literally being sucked out of these comic book pages
1: yeah I said at the end, the only thing I can kind of nick this arc for, because I think it's really solid. But after visiting all his friends, after visiting everyone he can think of who could save his life, right before his final showdown with the three demons, he goes and has a internal monologue yelling at Big Ben. Now, maybe it's because I'm not British, but it seemed to me like when he's talking about you were always the enemy I mean he's talking
0: to British monarchy, government and symbolism, right? That's how I took it. And one of the things about Constantine that you don't get in the two arcs reread, I've read about his history on Wikipedia, so it comes up at some point, I've actually read some comics that allude to it, is that he's very influenced by the punk rock scene. He saw the Sex Pistols in 77. So, I mean, that really does explain a lot of his attitude. Very anti-authoritarian. So I felt knowing that piece of history, I kind of felt like it was just riffing off that, like, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna say, you know, screw you to society, screw you to the monarchy, you know, God bless the queen, the, the satirical sex pistol song. That's the vibe I got. I don't know if that was what we were supposed to get, but because I knew that part of him, that's how I read it. Yeah, that's
1: the only part that didn't gel, but beyond those few pages, and it's really short, and I like what I think it was trying to do, but it just didn't hit home for what they were doing for me, but... I really love this arc. I said at the end of Original Sins, I wanted to keep reading. But I only wanted to keep reading because it was slightly intriguing. I didn't like the comic a lot, but I liked it enough to keep going and see what it was going to tell me. This made me just really like this comic a lot. And it means it succeeded in becoming what I had hoped after the first issues it could be.
0: Yeah, I'm shocked. You know, I haven't read this from Garth Ennis. I own so much of his stuff, read so much of his work. I've never read his Hellblazer stuff. And I'm shocked that he started off with his U.S. career so strongly with this story arc one of the defining story arcs of the character maybe the defining one it's heavily influenced the movie with the whole cancer thing you thought that was constantine's deal because of this story arc
1: yeah and for years i saw constantine when it was new on home video for the first time and for years i've thought it was a mistake for the writers to cure him of his cancer after reading garth ennis's arc i'm like yes Perfect. The movie did it even better than I thought because they were being true to this arc, which is a great arc. And kudos to Ennis because this means there are two movies that have adapted a lot of his works into movies, Constantine and Punisher. And in both cases, I think the comics supersede the movie in terms of storytelling. I didn't know when we started this podcast how I knew
0: Ennis's name. I'm ending it. Now I am open to reading anything he writes. He one of the greats, in my opinion. I am partial to that British wave of comic book writers, but that's because they're so good. And Ennis, he's one of those, I will read just about anything he does. So I'm glad I've had a chance to go back to the beginning of his U.S. career here and read some of his Hellblazer stuff. I'm looking forward to reading the other 75, 80 issues that he did with the series.
1: And again, Books and Nachos listeners, remember you can head to our archives and hear us discuss Original Sins, the first arc of Hellblazer. And... I'm going to be back. We're going to take a little bit of a break from tying in so tightly to now playing. But for those of you who still like comic books, Marvel Comics actually adapted some of their graphic novels into prose novels. I'm going to be back in just a few weeks to review those which include the Civil War arc that was a mega crossover, Astonishing X-Men Gifted, the Joss Whedon run, and Iron Man Extremis. And as I said before, Jacob and I will have to talk off the air. Maybe we'll be back and discuss some more Hellblazer.
0: I definitely enjoy that. If they're anything like what we've read, I'm happy to do so. It could be
1: the most limited run podcast series in history. We're going to continue until we both don't like it. So until next time, support your local bookstore or comic book store.
0: Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media Production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved.